0: Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at ten thirty. We're located at four thirty-two East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. King Nebuchadnezzar. Made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in a province of Babylon. Now, before I go on this morning, how many of you have heard the story of the fiery furnace? Raise your hand. I dare say almost everybody here has heard that story. And, and since you all have heard that story and gone through it, some, some of you, multiple and multiples of time. I mean, you, you know, growing up as a kid, this is a, one of the favorite Sunday school uh, stories and, and all that and, and the history that's there. But you kind of have a problem here if you've heard it over and over again. And the problem is, is because you know what's coming next. You understand the story, you, you, you know the beginning, you know the reasons why, you know the middle, you know the turmoil, and, and at the end you know what happens. And what it does is it's, it doesn't allow us sometimes to really kind of jump into the story, to be, you know, kind of be a part of the story. It's like reading the same book over and over again sometimes, we know that. Sometimes I love to do that, I love to read, and I'll go back and I'll read a, you know, a book I've already read before, but I know what's coming, so it's not as intense Well, this is kind of the the position that we find ourselves in. Imagine yourself as a little Hebrew boy or a little Hebrew girl listening to the story for the very first time. They bring out the scroll, maybe even from Daniel, brings out the scroll and unrolls the scroll and starts to read the Scriptures. You kind of be on the, the edge of the seat. You kind of get the emotion of the story. What is Daniel trying to say to us about this. Well, first of all, Nebuchadnezzar has made a gigantic image from gold, 90 foot tall and nine feet wide. Imagine how enormous this would be. I mean, that's a lot, that's a lot of gold. Now, we don't think that it was solid. It was probably plated gold, in other words, on, you know, around it on top of it. They beat it down onto it. They could do all that stuff. But this thing is huge. Now, we don't know exactly how long this is happening after chapter 2 that we went over last week. But Daniel has told the king, you, O king, in chapter 2, you're the head of gold. So did, Daniel, I mean, did King Nebuchadnezzar get this whole idea about building a statue? Like, Well, yeah, I'm the head of gold, but I'm gonna, you know, we're going to do a statue full of gold. You could imagine that. But Daniel has told the king, you, O king, are the head of gold. And all these different nations will come into power. And in the end, they will totally be destroyed. You know, part of me says, well, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you're, you're kind of an idiot here. You're kind of a, you know, somebody's not being too wise here. Saying that, you know, here Daniel just told you it's going to be destroyed. So what do you do? You build a statue. I, I just don't get it there. I guess Nebuchadnezzar was, wants to hurry up this process or something. I don't know. But it says here King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he has set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, and he would loudly proclaim, and then they have it other heralds further back about, you know, they could barely hear him, and then they would say exactly what the herald said. So the message would be passed out to all these thousands of people that, that would have gathered here, and I dare say probably hundreds of thousands of people, because think about all this. This, is, uh, this, isn't, this isn't just like, oh, Congress getting together. The king of Babylon has conquered the known world at that time. So this is, this is not just, oh, all the governors from all the states coming in. No, these are heads of states coming in from other, like, you know, like Italy. And, and you think of the United Nations when I, they all get together. These are all the presidents. These are all the, the ones that are in charge of countries that are coming in and bringing all their people. This is a huge affair here. And they all assembled here. And the herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, commanded to do. O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn flute, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce that, zither lair, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of God that Nebuchadnezzar, the King Nebuchadnezzar, set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flare—I uh, mean, the horn, the, the flute, either the lyre, the, la- the harp, and all kinds of music—all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Well, now we have a problem. Remember, who's in charge of the wise men? We don't know how many years after this is, but the king has just set up Daniel, and then Daniel got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of the Babylonian province of that area. Well, now the Babylonians who used to be in charge are upset, so we have a problem. Verse 9, it says, They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. It's a good thing to start out with. O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that, uh, whoever does not fall down and worship, will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Just in case you forgot, O king, we're just going to tell you what you just proclaimed to everyone. We just want to remind you, O king... But there are some Jews whom you have set up over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pays no attention to you, O king. They, serve, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. You could almost feel it, if you were hearing this for the first time, the intensity of the story building up. Furious was the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Is it true? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lair, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music... If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. In other words, I'm giving you fair warning here. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to their king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. Ouch. Now, how did the other guy... You know, the other ones that came before the king, oh, great king. Here, these guys are going, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, no, no great king, nothing like that. We don't need to defend ourselves in front of you. No. In verse 17, it says, if we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king... And here the O king finally comes in. They didn't say, you're a great O king, but now they're going, O king, if he does not, we want you to know, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. I mean, he knows. This is not the first time that these guys have gone against him. This is not the first time that he understands that these guys don't worship his king or his gods. Yet he's still doing this. Verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, why does it mention all these different clothes? Man, this this fire was hot. They were wrapping themselves up so they wouldn't be burned. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot, and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men who were tied up and threw into the fire? Well, they replied, Certainly, O king. In other words, we would never go against your order. No, king. We tied up three guys. We threw them in there. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them i bet they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their head singed their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them this is one of those chapters that you can kind of take and study all by itself and, and, and it, you know, it's good to do that. In fact, most of us sitting here, as we talked about, learn this as a child, but we don't necessarily learn all the stuff that came before it and all the stuff that came after it. Daniel has taken us through a series of things to show the difference between God and the king who thinks he's a god and worships all these many gods. As I said earlier, we don't know exactly when this story happens, We know that in chapter 1, these guys were were young. They were like 14 or 15 years old. And and by chapter 3, these guys are young men. They're no longer youths. They're they're no longer young guys. So we think they're somewhere in their 20s. Now, it could be early 20s, or it could be middle to late 20s. We just don't know at this point. But the story does relate to chapter 2 because of the statue part. Nebuchadnezzar builds a 90-foot tall statue that is 9 foot wide and it didn't fit anywhere in the city not enough room to to pile people around it to to go out there and look at it so they took it to the plain of Dura, and and and, you know it's probably gold plated as we talk about not solid but but still very expensive they had so much gold floating around the city was unbelievable this is something that most people would have never seen in their lifetime it's not like everybody had a huge statue ninety foot tall made of gold in their town This would have been a beautiful sight to see in the world's standards. Now we don't know if the image of gold was actually of Nebuchadnezzar or the image of one of his gods. I think it was more along along the lines of being an image of one of his gods. But the scene is set in the first seven verses here. He orders the statue to be built. Imagine the rumors going around, well, you know, 75 foot, I, I think it should be 75 foot instead of 90. I know they're playing on 90, but, but it should be 75. I mean, you can hear, you know, the newspaper, you know, all the people writing in. Well, I like this idea. Well, I don't like this idea. Why don't you like this idea? You know, everybody talking about it. But this huge statue is built, and he calls this Festival. And in verse 2, it goes, goes back and he says, He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image they had set up. This is a major thing. Not only for the king, but for his country. All these guys coming in, all the people, all the money that's being spent because of this. Talking about stimulus, so here's stimulus for you. Everyone who is anyone is supposed to. To be there. The problem, of course, this includes some people who are going to have a problem with this. Not necessarily a political problem, but a spiritual problem. There's going to be some people that were just going to automatically, they're, you know, they're coming from all these different countries. They'll hear the horns, the flutes, the zire. I mean, they'll hear all this stuff, and they'll automatically just bow down and they'll just be like, whatever. Okay. But there's others sitting there going, no, I cannot do that. So why can't these guys let it slide this one time? It violates their religion. It has nothing to do with the pagan king ordering it. I mean, these guys are already doing things that, that I probably would have balked at, you know, going through divinity school and going through you know, all this you know, astrology stuff and, and astronomy and all these different things that they've been you know, forced, in a sense, to go through. They didn't object to those things. You know, I don't, I don't think I could sit through a class where they taught you how to tell the future. I don't know. But these guys went to these classes about magical arts. And, and what did you see Daniel get upset about? What do you see Daniel and the guys get upset about? Food. We learned that in chapter 1. They're sitting there going, well, we can't go against what our God says about food. So it, it's been interesting to watch and see what these guys object to. This time they're objecting, you know, to is, is the fir- what they're objecting to is the first and second commandment coming out of Egypt. Of what we call the Ten Commandments, which are really like 614 or 622, depending on how you count. But we, you know, kind of put them down, the Ten Commandments, and we all know what we're talking about. But the first two commandments of that, in Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commands. This would have been you know, a direct violation of both commandments. We call it idolatry. Now the problem with idol- idolatry is the idol becomes the god. The split, uh, that happened in between the Eastern and Western churches, and I'm kind of going back into more of a church history here. And I, I think it was the year 1066, and I should have looked it up. That's what came to my mind. Uh, so, so if you go and look and see, it's the wrong year. I apologize, but I think it was the year 1066. And, and it was mainly over what I was going to show you is, is uh, um, something from the Eastern Church that I got in Greece on, uh, when I was over there on a mission trip. Now, I don't believe in idols, but there are those that, who say that these things—it's called an icon. And basically what it is, it's a it's an image and it's usually painted with gold and stuff, and it's a, a design of like say Christ or one of the disciples or something like that. And it was an icon originally it was used to help focus your mind in prayer. And they would take this and and you would set it up in your house or something, and you would go and you would look at it, and they would have different colors. Green meant something, purple meant something, all this. And it was it was originally for you to focus in prayer. The problem came within the Eastern churches. Which still is kind of a little bit today. Now they've kind of pushed back on a little bit saying, no, these aren't our idols. These are helping us focus in prayers. You know, there's even a book called Praying with Icons and and I've actually read it and and some of it makes sense. Some of it I'm sitting there going, I'm not quite so sure, you know. But they would set it up there and would take them through prayers. But they became the idols of the church. And that's what caused the Eastern and Western church to split all of a sudden the idol becomes the god and the god behind the idol becomes nothing now it's ironic that the two major church split, you know, churches that split in 1066 have kind of switched roles a little bit. Uh, you know, the Eastern Church has began to tell their worshippers this represents God, but is not God, and that's a good thing. And the Western equation has started producing idols that we now pray to. Now, by no means am I anti-Catholic. I'm I'm not that type of a person. But the idea of praying to statues. Praying to say Mary or praying to somebody else, it kind of goes against where I'm sitting there, I read in the scriptures, and there's nothing that comes between me and God. That's just what I see. They say the Pope is infallible, someone who never sins. Well, he's human. Of course he sins because he's human, he doesn't become a God. So, those are just two things that I have problems with. Now, that doesn't say that I say, well, all Catholics are going to hell. I I don't go that far. I I just don't go that far. But the problem with idols is this it demeans our God when we do these things. All of a sudden, we think that He is not so powerful, He is not all knowing. Man, I, I shouldn't have left my God on the mantle at home because now He's not with me. You see the concept? Oh man, I didn't wear my 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 cross. I didn't wear my, the thing that represents my God. So, oh man, I'm susceptible now. That whole concept, it's not a good concept to go with. Or well, I I don't have that thing that, you know, it's going to prevent me from sinning so I can do all I want and I can go back and I can just pray and ask for forgiveness and that'll happen. See, this is the nature of idolatry. For pagans in Daniel's time, it's not a problem. Their God is limited anyway. They have the sky God, they have the ocean God, they have the, the earth God, they have this God, they have that God. It's all limited to just this. So it's not a big deal for them. But the biblical God is not limited. This would be a problem for them. This would be a problem that, you know, th- there's a God and there is nothing else. We can't bring God down to our level. And that's what we like to do sometimes. See, our God is a a God that's one of a kind. You can't relate Him to something else. You know, it's not like we can take something, create it, and say, well, this represents God. Because that thing that we create is bound by, by time, by space, by matter. But God is not bound by these things. We forget that when we say that you know, the, the eyes of the Lord are upon you, it doesn't literally mean that He has human eyes and He's going... No. It's just a way for us to understand Him. It expresses to us that, that He is, is all-seeing and all-knowing. The hand of the Lord. Well, you know, He must have a hand. You know, it guides us. Well, if that is the case, then God has feathers. Did you know that? If you're going to take that kind of tack, that kind of thought pattern, because in Psalms 91 it says, Under his wing I will take refuge. Does that mean God has wings? I guess that's where the whole idea of angels with wings came from. I don't know. I'm just saying we can't put those characteristics directly to God. It just represents that he's all-knowing, that he's all-seeing, that he is above everything. He's not bound by our concepts. He's not made of stuff. This is why we don't stuff him into an idol. Because we do that, what do we have? We have a stuffed God. I want to go into Thanksgiving and stuffing, but I'm not going to go there. But we bring him down to our level and we start to limit him. Israel has always dealt with this problem. They were surrounded by pagan nations, and God says, go in there and wipe them all out, and don't associate with them. What do they do? They go in there and they sort of kind of wiped them out until they were left alone, and then they started like, you know, marrying in between them, you know, between these pagan nations and a godly nation, and it just, they always had this problem. I mean, think about the, uh, you know, idols were everywhere. Think about it. Even when they were coming out of Egypt, Moses goes up for 40 days to commune with God, to to go up and talk to God, to be able to get the law. He comes back down, and what do they have? A golden calf that represents God. Israel, from the very beginning, had this problem. And most of the prophets spoke against this. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4, it says... After you have, uh, have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, in other words, going into Egypt, I mean, going into the promised land from Egypt, after you've lived there a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, idol doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking Him to anger, I will call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day, and you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess And that's what happened. God took it back for a while. You will not live there long, but certainly be destroyed. Verse 27 says, The Lord will scatter you among the peoples. Has it happened? Yeah. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. Then you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Man, this immediately takes me to to some of the... um, you know, the Eastern uh, religion, the India, and you know, Buddha and different, you know, they have the idols and go, go out there and put fruit in front of the idol as an offering to the God. The fruit sets there and rots. They can't eat. They can't drink. They can't smell. Verse 29 says, but if, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. This is exactly what the Daniel, I mean the book of Daniel is about. The Israelites have fallen, you know, fallen astray by worshiping other gods over and over and over again. So they lost their land. and they were scattered and they started worshiping different idols. But if you seek me, You will find me. This is exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have done in a foreign land. They have said, no, I will not serve a foreign god. We will seek the Lord instead. The theme of idolatry runs through the entire scriptures. It often takes the form of the sin of adultery. God has made a covenant with them, a marriage proposal. God has married them. Throughout the scriptures, you know, uh, we see this. God has made a covenant with us, and we have broken that covenant. We have gone after another man or another another woman, hence adultery. You understand that concept? Our covenant with God is treated like a marriage. Either we are faithful or we are not. And if we're not, it's called sin. Sin. It's sinful. In Revelation, it, it talks about uh, you know, the harlot Babylon. Because God's people followed after idols and other gods. The way the prophets dealt with this was ridiculing them. It's kind of fun to read some of this stuff. It's a classic example of ridicule is in Isaiah 44. Isaiah says to them, Who shapes a god and casts an idol, which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in his coals. He shapes an idol with his hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter... Measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker, he roughs it out with, with chisels and marks it with a compasses. He shapes it in the form of man or, or man and of man of all his glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars, or perhaps a cypress or an oak. He lets it grow among the trees of the forest or a planted pine, and then the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes to warm himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half the wood he burns for a fire, over over it he prepares a meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warns himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing, they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. And their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, Half of it I use for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals, I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is this not, or is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Now we read this thing and we say, well that totally makes sense for them because I don't make idols these are silly people worshipping a block of wood I mean come on but think of it this way the Israelites lived in a society in a world that this was common it's like an invisible God is no God at all they didn't exist this was an issue just uh, you know in the New Testament in the first couple of centuries uh, in, in fact, one of the charges in the second century when when the Romans were killing jews and and uh, i can 't think of his name it starts with a p but he uh, you know a guy that was um, l- uh, literally brought into the stadium and this is documented history in the second century brought into the stadium and, and they basically said you 're an atheist, and they burned him at the stake because they said. He was an atheist. Away with the atheists, the crowd screamed. Away with the atheists. You can't make an idol, so therefore, your God doesn't exist. Therefore, you have no God. You're an atheist. This is the world that they were immersed in. Psalms 115 says, Why do nations say, where is their God? Our heaven is in... Our God is in heaven he does whatever he whatever pleases him but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of man they have mouths but cannot speak eyes but they cannot see they have ears but cannot hear noses that they but they cannot smell they have hands but cannot feel feet but they cannot walk nor can they utter a sound with their throats they make them those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. And that is the problem. When you make an idol, you become just like an idol. Instead, we're made in the image of God, and we reflect that image of God and not that of an idol. That you know, this is a problem. The problem is God's purpose of creation has been refined has been changed. We're supposed to reflect God's image, but instead we reflect the image of the world, which turns everything into, idol, into an idol. And all of a sudden, God's purpose is totally destroyed. So as we look at you know, chapter 3 in Daniel, we have to remember that they're hearing this and not reading this. The emotion is there. All we have to do is listen to it. Daniel wrote this very well. Daniel builds up to, you know, to the point of, of the confession of the young men. Verses 1 through 7 set this stage, kind of like an introduction. You have this image, and, and this image you know, it's of gold, and, and they set it up. It's massive, and there's a major festival. And then the problem. Well, how does this problem get you know, resolved? Uh-oh. What are they going to do about this? Maybe no one will notice. I mean, there's thousands of people around maybe no one will notice and you know then we get to part 2 the old babylonians complain to the king the king is so happy i mean the festival's going well he sees all the people bowing down he's thinking this is great we've done a great job i've done a great job the king is saying you know so the conflict comes from from the old wise men who used to be in charge the ones who were skipped Go back and, uh, go, Going back to verse 8, it says, At the time, some astrologers came forward to denounce the Jews. They said, O king, live forever. You've issued a decree. And, and they go back over it. You know, the flute, the horn, all these things. You're, you know, Then they are supposed to bow down. And, and they didn't do that. You know the jobs that we should have gotten? Look at them. They're not even following your rules says here in verse 12, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pays no attention to you, O king, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of God you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods and worship the image of gold I have set up? And he goes back through it. Now when you hear all these horns and stuff, if you don't do this immediately, we're going to throw you into the fire. This is a big you know, conflict on the, you know, the king's great day. This is not good. The, the king is mad and he was really happy before. Everything was going so well. What happened? What a, you know, what a question Nebuchadnezzar asked. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Now, it's very ironic because Daniel, in a sense, has rescued him through his God and he said, my God has rescued this. My God has told me your dream. He was being tormented by this dream and the only God, the one true God, was able to to relieve him of that torment by telling the dream through Daniel. Well, King, I'm glad you asked, they say. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This does not start out too well for them. It's the wrong thing to say. Imagine this. In front of the king of Babylon. Imagine the, the kids hearing this story for the first time as, as they're reading it from the scroll. and They're all kind of like, he said what? To the king? We don't even need to give you an answer. I think they're saying, you don't remember. You should have known by now. Aren't we the healthiest in the kingdom because of what we refused to eat and the way we followed our our true God? Do you remember that little dream that Daniel helped you with? Yeah, we prayed. We helped him pray for that. Then they continue on in verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, That we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow. These young men confess not because they know their God will save them. In fact, they don't know. These young men confess not because they will get something out of it. What do they get out of it? As far as they know, they're going, you know, they're gonna die. Either God's gonna save them or they're gonna die. They don't know what's gonna happen. Their confidence in God is a matter of principle. It is the right thing to do. Our God said, don't have any graven images. We accepted him into our lives, so therefore, we are not to have any images, no matter what happens to us. The same thing happened in the book of Acts. Peter and John healed a man. for, For over 40 years, this man was crippled. The religious leaders thought the problem was solved. They killed the the leader of this sect, the leader of of this group of people who were out there healing people but were doing it all wrong. They killed him on the cross. They thought it was all over with. But all they did was release 12 other guys and the problem multiplied. So they imprisoned them. And then in chapter 4, they let them out and say, okay guys, here's the deal. Just don't do it again. We'll let you out, but don't do it again. And what do they say? it is better to obey God than obey man it is a matter of principle later they get beaten arrested and beaten and they rejoiced we need to be men and women of character men and women of principle Men and women who say, this is the truth. And Jesus died for me. He enabled me to build a relationship with him. So I stand up for Christ no matter the circumstances. Now another thing that I, I get out of, we read you know, Daniel chapter 3 carefully. There's a, you know, a bigger issue here. It's very subtle. It sets up the conflict between Nebuchadnezzar and the Jews. And this theme will, will run throughout the book of Daniel. In chapter 1, we see God gave, and God gave, and God gave. And, you know, uh, not uh, Nebuchadnezzar for the guys, you know, but, but it was all about God. And in chapter 2, we see the kingdoms of, of earth versus the king of the universe. And in fact, that is the ultimate struggle that we have. The king of the world versus the king of the universe. Remember, Daniel's... You know, these guys were actually listeners, those that were from the time of Daniel. Did you notice the, the the thing about the instruments? It was repeated over and over again. It was making a point. It was a repetition so they could remember it later because they, they didn't take notes. They didn't have CDs. They, they weren't like, hey, pick up your CD after the service. They had to remember this. This is the image that you set up, Nebuchadnezzar. What are you going to do about it? The focal point of the story is Nebuchadnezzar versus God, not the three young men. God is just using the three young men to set up this conflict, to show this uh, this conflict. So here's the question. Who is the God? And who is the ruler? Who Who is the one for whom worship is deserving? The king of this world or the God of the universe? We, you know, we all know the story. The fire is so hot that the men who threw them into the fire, you know, are burned up. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't even smell like smoke. And then we're in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar goes, um... Hey, we we threw in three, right? But I see four. Weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. The fourth one is Jesus himself. Verse 28, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Now, remember, this is Nebuchadnezzar saying this. Therefore, I decree that my people, or that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of For no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He says this in front of the kingdoms, in front of the, the presidents, in front of all the rulers of all the other nations as he's conquered in the world. The God of the universe wins and he will continue to win. Read Revelations. We understand that. We know that. Yet Nebuchadnezzar still does not believe in their God. His view is there are other gods, but this God is the biggest of them all. He doesn't understand that there's no other gods. To end this today, I have a question for you. Why was idolatry so prevalent? And why is it still so prevalent? This is not an Old Testament problem. This is not a New Testament problem. The last verse of 1 John says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And that was written for them and it was written for us. Keep yourself from idols. The book of Revelation says, You have a harlot Babylon. It is still amongst us. Now, we don't worship idols like the old days. But our idols are are different. They're more subtle. They're still there. It's the things that we think about all the time. It's the things that we put before God. It's the things that we go to before we go to God. Those are idols of today. Idolatry is putting things before God. What do you put before God? What is your idol? Anything that interferes with my relationship with God is my idol. And as John says, and Daniel says, and throughout the scriptures, so many say, dear children, keep yourself from idols. Now I say this not to make you feel guilty this morning. What I want you to do is recognize, what do I put before God? What kind of idol do I have that goes before God that interferes in my relationship? Once I recognize that, I can start working on putting that away. And don't just put it in the closet. Because I found as I'm cleaning up my house, getting ready for the baby, you clean out the closet and you got the idol on your hands again and you're sitting there going, what do I do with it now? And you either, oh yeah, I forgot about this. And we set it back out or we go throw it away. You've got to make a decision what to do with your idols. Don't put them in your closet. Get rid of it. Get rid of the junk in your life that goes against God. That's what he's asking us to do. Let's pray. Lord you're you're a god that literally stretched out your arms and made the heavens and the earth. You're a god that has so much glory that we don't even understand it. You're a god that could just totally just smite us, totally just get rid of us because we put things before you. But you're also a god of graciousness, you're also a god of of mercy. You understand our weaknesses, Lord. And I pray that you allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives this week to, to point out some of the weaknesses that we have in our life. Not to make us feel guilty, Lord, but to bring us back into a relationship with you. To put us back on that path where we're, putting, you know, we're getting rid of our idols. We're throwing away the junk in our lives that doesn't need to be there. I pray, Lord, that you, you help us clean out the closets of our life. And I pray, Lord, that you help us, give us the ability through your Holy Spirit to stay away from idols, to turn and run from the things that are against you, to turn and run from the things that, that we want to grab a hold of, and you say, no, that's not good for you, Alan. That's not good for you. I thank you for leaving us the Holy Spirit in our lives to give us that ability. And I pray that we listen to it, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May it shine into to those areas that we've you know try to hide from you. May it show the idols in our life, Lord. May Your face never turn from us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.